From the perspective of a Chief Technology Officer, P3 Health Partners, Umesh Srivastava, is here today to share his passion and purpose for the healthcare 360's best and brightest in episode number 57. P3 Health Partners is led by physicians who want to shift the industry's focus from managing illness to cultivating wellness. Umesh's hunger for change and thirst for innovation creates a rich dialogue that is beneficial for all. Listen in as we discuss disruptive pipelines that lead to innovation, patient caregiver, user-centric designs built by the people for the people, and what value-based care looks like from the CTO's point of view. I'll call to action. Take Unmesh up on his offer to engage with future and current healthcare tech professionals. His ambition to help others interested in healthcare will be evident throughout this interview. As always, be sure to share with others and provide the feedback. We love feedback. The more, the better. If you have a suggestion or would like to share your thoughts on Healthcare 360, be sure to reach out by email at Burgess at scotteburgess.com or visit our website at scotteburgess.com. If you've not had a chance to visit our YouTube page, head on over there, subscribe, like, and hit the notification bell. We release brand new videos every Monday and soon every Thursday. And be sure not to miss next week's conversation, episode number 58 with Jeffrey Wu, CEO and co-founder of HVMN, which stands for Human Via Modern Nutrition who is featured on the Netflix documentary series, Unwell, as we deep dive into the science behind ketosis and the modern day solutions that are available to all of us now with his breakthrough innovative company. If you're a new listener to Healthcare 360, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcast, head on over to our website, and join our mailing list as well as YouTube. We release a brand new audio and video experience every Monday and soon every Thursday. So be sure to sign up, get informed, and stay in touch for your health. You may not know this, but Healthcare 360 has been selected and voted as one of the best medical podcasts you can listen to now, twice within 2020 alone. We've hosted some of the leaders in the alternative as well as the traditional healthcare space, such as Dr. Chris Davis, a top 100 physician, Dr. Kenneth Bach, who is considered one of the top pediatric integrative functional doctors and medical detectives today, Dr. Paul Summerside, Bjorn von Siemens of the Siemens family, and Umesh Shirastava, our guests on today's show. Starting a new trend here at Healthcare 360 by taking a minute to appreciate members of the 360 Nation and giving a shout out for the podcast review of the day. This is the five-star review from D-A-T-S-A-K. The title is The Most Informative Podcast I've Heard. Scott and his guests bring a refreshing and honest message each and every episode. I highly recommend this to anyone looking for facts and great personalities. That's Zach. Uh, thank you for taking the time to write the review. First of all, we do our best to bring the best perspectives to the audience and tackle tough topics, as we all know, that we can break down and deliver so that everyone understands. Uh, sometimes finding the right guest can be tough, sometimes harder than most people think at times. So I thank you for recognizing our efforts here. And thanks for noticing. We really appreciate that feedback. And if you're listening to this, please email me at Burgess at scottyburgess.com so we can mail you out a t-shirt. Thanks again. Nation, if you haven't left a podcast review, a rating, or both, head on over to Apple Podcast. And when you do leave a review, be sure to take a screenshot of the review. Email that screenshot to Burgess at scottyburgess.com. Please include your mailing address and I will personally mail you an official Healthcare 360 Dry Fit t-shirt. You will love them. They're awesome, super comfortable. These reviews help in more ways than you know. It's the catapult and driver of podcast longevity. Your review will help the nation grow, reach more people, and make more of an impact. So let's keep those reviews coming in. If you hadn't had the chance to visit our YouTube channel, what are you waiting for? 
as of this week, we have published over 220 videos and counting, including short clip deep dives and entire episodes. All videos as well as sound are delivered with high video resolution and premium sound quality. Last but not least, all this information, including the contact information for the team in Healthcare 360 and Healthcare 360 guests is included in the podcast notes and the website description page at scottyburgess.com. All neatly laid out, organized, and easy to follow. Michelle deserves a huge shout out for all of her amazing efforts. If you haven't already connected with her on Instagram, please do so. Reach out at mishburge12, that's M-I-C-H-B-U-R-G-12. Give her a follow, give her a connection, send her a DM. She definitely will get back to you. As always, we appreciate you being here. We'll see you for next week's episode number 58 with Jeffrey Wu, CEO and co-founder of HBMN. This episode promises to help so many. I personally guarantee it. Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess. And from all of us with the Healthcare 360 team, we'll see you for episode number 58 only on Healthcare 360. This is going to be a fun one. Absolutely. Uh, I, I love tech and I, I'm really intrigued by especially everything I've read about you, some of the interesting preparation with what we're hoping to bring out, especially surrounding technology. Some pretty intriguing questions too that I've noticed just in the market space around what you're doing. I want to talk about the industry. I want to talk about tech. I want to talk about, you know, if there's anything that we can do to help people aspiring to get into healthcare and work in digital health, both intrapreneurs and entrepreneurs and students. At least that's what I want to get out of this is even if we can have one person sort of change his or her mind to go into healthcare, Mm -hmm. I think that's really the mission. That's fantastic. So it's a tough one to do every once in a while, for sure, because healthcare is a a daunting, daunting profession. It is. It is. But exciting. I mean, for techies, there's so much opportunity that you won't find in some of the other spaces. Mm-hmm. The self-satisfaction that comes out of it, right? When you're impacting people's lives, there's nothing more fulfilling than that. So I think might not be the big tech working for big tech and Bay Area cool tech, but I, even I think that there's still a lot of opportunity yeah. of implementing cool tech in healthcare. The one thing that I've I've always told my daughters, uh, and not as much recently because uh, they know it now, but I'm saying, hey, daddy helps good people help sick people get better. And yeah. I, I really do still feel that way. And it's up to us as proper consultants to go in there and advise them as to what's new, what they should do, what they should be watching out for, other considerations, et cetera. And I think that's the proper way in really the overall this discussion, how it should go, how it should lend itself. Thank you again for joining. This is Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. Uh, always appreciate you coming here. In front of me, we have Chief Technology Officer or CTO. I want to make sure I don't mispronounce your name. Unmesh Srivastava. It's Unmesh Srivastava. Not that it's easy to pronounce. <laughs> But very glad to be here and talking to you, Scott, about everything health tech. So I have a lot of loaded questions for you going into this, knowing what your company is doing in the tech arena. My first one that I've noticed in the market space, the healthcare market space at large, is that in health med tech, overall funding is down close to 30%, around capital round A and B. Why do you think that is? 
Because the other thing I'm also noticing as well is that although the rounds of funding are down financially, or close to 30%, those who are capturing investors, those investments are higher. Are you finding mm-hmm. the same? Yes, absolutely. Would love to talk about this. You know, I think digital healthcare is a very interesting field to be in. A lot of the institutional investors, the way I see the markets moving right now, a lot of the institutional investors and a lot of large-scale healthcare companies are investing a lot of money in digital health right now. Mm they are investing money internally to solidify their technology, as well as they are investing a lot of money in patient experience, provider experience, data analytics, AI, a lot of these places. There's a lot of acquisition movement going on. You know, there's so much of IPO and acquisition movement going around right now. The way I see this is, If you were to build a technology that solves a problem in any other space except healthcare, it'll be a little bit easy to implement. The sales cycles will be lower and the investment will be lower because of the regulatory and compliance areas of technology. As compared to healthcare, where every technology you build has longer sales cycles, has a lot of money to invest in security, compliance, and areas like that. So a lot of time, if you invest in a technology startup in another area, the point from where you invest to point where the business gets onto a tipping point where it starts making profits Mm -hmm. is lower as compared to healthcare because healthcare sales cycles are long. Even to sell initial contracts to health systems and healthcare companies and even to consumers, that process takes a while because of the compliance, because of regulatory, because of Mm. just implementing sheer tech in the ream of the entire business process of any health system is not easy. So that's why you see a lot of digital tech. There's a lot of startups, but a lot of them shut down. With the lack of funding and with the lack of the ability to convert contracts in the right time. I found that a lot of redundancy in the technology and telemedicine had a big play in that because there was a lot of crossover or like solutions that were in the same arena that really just when you looked at it, they didn't really have the right to be in that in that game. Absolutely. There's a lot of noise. There's also the fact that, example, telehealth, last six to eight months, like post-COVID outbreak, I've seen so many telehealth companies mushroom overnight that it was mind-boggling. Like I have my inboxes filled with different vendors who are talking about telehealth (laughs) and saying that we are world-class telehealth vendor, never heard of them up until now or, you know, six months back. So I also see, I I completely agree with you. There's a lot of redundancy as well. And for health systems, it's a daunting process to really identify what's noise versus that one vendor that I'm going to implement in my health system, which is actually going to move the needle and impact my quadruple goal. I'm also finding that hospitals themselves are looking at these technology companies and saying, well, why can't we do it on our own? Why do we need another vendor? But you look at the Kaisers, which is close to where you are, 
versus the Johns Hopkins, which is over on my side of the country. They're saying, we don't need these third-party companies and vendors. We have the technology. They may not have the headcount and the manpower to be able to produce it, but like any other big conglomerate company, they're going to say, okay, well, we're going to outsource it, have someone build the original R&D model, and then we'll acquire that, and then we'll build it from there. Agreed. Yeah, and absolutely. You see that as a trend. Large and middle-sized health systems, all of them today have innovation teams. And they're all investing into tech. They're all investing into new age business processes. And they're all rolling up the sleeves and saying, it, we're going to get it done and actually set up a model and spin this off, mm-hmm. right? A lot of them also have innovation incubators where they are heavily invested in some of these startups at the seed level. And they are nurturing these startups within their health systems and then even taking it out, not just solving their own like Kaiser, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield, all the big health plans, they all have their innovation centers and a big amount of budget attached to investing in solving a problem with tech. And then they invest it within their organization. They try to mature the solution. A lot of them spin it off and commercialize it. I agree. Unmesh, question for you now going down this path. I listened to some of the previous podcasts What I really like about you the most is that, one, your mother is a practicing homeopathic physician. I would love to hear and go a little bit deeper there about what you've learned from her. Yes, she's a doctor, but it's a different side of wellness and healthcare completely. But at the same time, I heard about the story about you working at Burger King and really through graduate school, learning true customer service, true customer service of dealing with the variety of people and having the discipline to be patient with those variety of people, which is really, really cool. That lends into my question. You're dealing with a lot of different healthcare systems now as the chief technology officer of P3. So what I'd like you to do real quick, if you don't mind, uh, not so much about about the backstory, about, about what you've collectively learned in your past disciplines, because they really were past disciplines and how you approach that in your current role, and then what also P3 does and what the innovation is that you bring into the market space? That's a loaded question, Scott. So I'll try to do justice to it. Yes, so my background, you know, my mother is a medical practitioner and that to homeopathy, which is very different than traditional Western medicine. Mm -hmm. It is very natural and the, the medicine is very different as compared to, you know, your what you call the regular allopathy or Western style of medicine. So while growing up, like mom was a doctor and I've seen patients come to her over years, 15 years, 20 years, just same person as I've grown and I still see them coming to my mom. So I think that tells a lot. I think one of the things that I pride myself or what I got from her is the empathetic aspect of yeah. practicing medicine. I think a big a big side of, you know, people coming back to her and being sort of patients for life has been not just curing the disease but also the empathy side of it, understanding their issue and lending a hand as yeah. a care provider which I think is super critical to me. I've learned so much from my mom, but I think if there was one thing that I would like to say that I learned the most is empathy. 
towards the people, towards their situations. A lot of times we don't see the other side. Right. It sounds like your mother paid attention to their story and heard them. Exactly. And remembered them. I'll tell you this, that personal aspect of it, and it cannot be faked, right? right? You have to build that in. But the idea, even with your employees, when you're leading large teams, the idea of having a personal connect with them pushes them towards that mission that you are greatly moving your organization towards. But at the same time, it'll never be all rosy. So your ability to really understand that outside of work, they have a life and there might be stuff mm-hmm. going on which might be impacting work. But just having that empathy involved in that interaction greatly helps. At least in this day and age of leadership, I feel when you're leading even millennials, a lot of millennials, it's not always about the kind of money you're going to give in to them. I think a lot of that is empathy. I think a lot of that is supporting them in a 360 way. No pun intended there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Healthcare 360. It, 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 absolutely. So, so I think that's one. The other thing, and you hit it right on point. When I came to US, it was peak recession, 2008. Didn't get a campus job and I was working at Burger King. Initially, I was like, hey, I'm an undergrad engineer. What the heck am I doing on the cash register of a Burger King? Mm -hmm. My first week was just thinking about life and what didn't go right that I've landed here. But I think it was a blessing in disguise because everything is about customer experience. If you're on that front register, the ability to deal with different types of people coming from different nationalities and providing them superior customer service is the goal. Agreed. So you combine customer service mentality with empathetic development and empathetic way of dealing with a problem and your users, both of them together is a nasty combination. It's it's so good that you can solve any problem, healthcare, non-healthcare. You're being asked to go build a rocket ship. You can build that with just those two traits. Yeah. Customer experience and having customers' empathy in your mind where you are not thinking as a technologist. You are thinking as a user, be it a patient, be it a doctor, be it a nurse who is dealing with patients, be it a home healthcare, a social worker. If you can put yourselves in their shoes and really understand their day-to-day and then go about building the solutions and building a team that goes the same way, I think that's what's most important. And coming back to the third prong of your question, which is what is P3 doing that is different, it is exactly that. The word P3 means people, passion, and purpose. So people who have a passion and a purpose to change healthcare. So our organization is very people-focused. Our CEO, I still remember my first meeting with him. I was talking to him, and I, he asked me, how many people do you need? And I responded, I need uh, 20 resources to build it. And he said, why do you call them resources? Hmm. I said, you know, that's their people. Very basic, but I said, you know, it's so different. So I think it's in our DNA to think people, think empathy, and the health system that we are building is different because it is built by the people, 
support the people. We have physician leaders in our management team. Both of our co-founders are doctors, practicing physicians. They know how physicians work on a day-to-day basis. We lay a lot of importance in getting customer patient feedback. So patients are at the center of all that we do. And providers are at the center of all that we do. Even all the tech we are building has a lot of empathy and people focus built in into our user-centered design into the way we operate. If we are able to reduce two clicks or we are able to get you information within half a second as compared to one second, that to me is a win. Yeah. What do you think healthcare is going to look like? Where do you think it's going? What's your point of view on it? There is a lot of blockchain out there. There is a lot of different streamlined solutions, operational backside solutions that we're trying to deliver to healthcare because 80% of patients are frustrated with their local regional hospital and they're frustrated equally with their local physicians. If they spend 20 minutes with them, 15 minutes of that is looking at their back as they're typing on a computer keyboard into a screen and they have five minutes of interactions. Many people cannot do two things at once effectively. How do you expect them to listen and hear their patients' concerns at the same time they have to follow protocol? How is this all going to kind of pan out in the next couple of years? A second to that, if you don't mind tapping into it, not knowing what's going to happen in the U.S. presidential election, and there's two completely different roadmaps. I don't care about the politics. What I'm interested in is how you prepare for that. Sure. Actually, a very loaded question, Uh, (laughs) but I'll try to do justice with whatever I know of. As you said in your question is, there's a lot that needs to be done, but where do you start? I personally feel that to drastically shift healthcare from where it is at to where it needs to go, we need to move from volume-based care to value-based care, which we are successfully moving in some of the lines of businesses like Medicare Advantage, Medicare. But to me, it has to be across the board. How do you define value-based healthcare? The payment model is directly proportional to the clinical outcome. So for a doctor, if you are able to keep a patient outside of the emergency room, if you are able to give them a five-star patient experience at the point of care, if you are able to see them twice a year or at least once a year, Mm -hmm. if you are able to perform a transitions of care visit within which you talk about their medication adherence and you talk about various different things. That to me is a quantification of actually you're engaged with your patient and the patient is engaged in their care, which leads to good clinical outcomes. But don't you think that's tough to do with people's perceptions of being subjective about how they perceived their care to be? Some people are looking to be offended. I don't expect anyone to be able to answer this. It's a real question. Not everyone's point of view is going to be the same. And you could have a physician who delivers excellent care across his spectrum and line of work and his disciplines across patient A all the way to Z. But somewhere in the middle, a couple of people will say, nope, you know something? I just didn't feel it. It wasn't going on that day. When he did exactly, and I almost say the same thing, but his approach was the same. How do you manage that? Where are the, the blank spots or the dark spots there that you begin to unravel? 
That's a very interesting question, Scott. I personally feel that, one, the outcomes are quantified. So if you're doing good for 99% of your population that you're serving and Mm -hmm. they're engaged with you, we will see that in the clinical outcomes. Your admits will be lower. Your readmit rates will be lower. Your one to two day visits in the hospitals will be lower. Your star scores will be high. So you'll see that. But can one size fit all for the entire population or will each and every patient be content, happy? Probably that's too much of a burden again going on on the doctors, right? With all the regulations on clinical documentation, with all the regulations around the data submissions, around their EMRs, around everything that they do, we don't want to overload them with touchy and feely. Yes, it's important. But at the same time, if there's a good doctor, and you can see that from their clinical outcomes. And I think that's what value-based care is. If as a physician, as a clinician, we can see your admits are low for your population that you're serving, if your readmits are low, if your quality scores are high, if your patient retention rate is high, that all leads to us knowing that, yes, the person is practicing and there are clinical outcomes because now you're keeping the cost out of the system. Right. I think if you align the payment models against those outcomes is when you define value-based care as compared to mm-hmm okay, I saw the patient 10 times a year and for every encounter, here's my submission and I need to get paid by encounter. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because we had Lonnie Stormo on my show. He was episode number 35. The one identifier, and this is something I really do believe needs to be changed, the quote unquote payment system. If there is a bad outcome, you shouldn't get paid the same amount, period. Because it just does not make sense. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card for someone making their payment. No, I mean, the patient's still going to pay what their responsibility is. When it comes back and they don't have that value-based care or that assessment that says, okay, you did a five-star or four-and-three-quarters or a four-and-a-half level job with this patient, your reimbursement or your payment should be indicative of that. Absolutely. That is the whole problem with the healthcare system right now. It's all based around a payment system. When I look at different tech, like how is that going to help reshape healthcare? At B3, you'll be surprised. Most of the Medicare Advantage plans are pushing really, really hard to value-based care. They're all risk-based arrangements, and the payment model is risk-based, and it is value-based. It's all clinical outcome-driven. Mm-hmm by CMS, by health plans, and towards, you know, to the medical groups and doctors. But value-based care for a day-to-day physician who is not associated, doesn't have access to technology, doesn't have access to process and things like that, it's far more difficult. Your traditional EMR system is not going to help you with value-based payment. It won't even capture. The EMR system that was pushed through the Affordable Care Act completely failed it's in fragments that was supposed to be holistic. And I have a lot of friends who are in the data market within healthcare and what it was intended to do, it's not doing. It can receive all the information, but as far as stitching everything together and producing predictive or predictable results for a patient or outcomes or scenarios, it's not doing like it was supposed to have done. It's really just shortchanged at the moment. Yeah. 
Agreed. And that's why to implement value-based care, you need to have a very strong data engine that can ingest data, historical data about the patients Mm -hmm. for the patients, which you can risk stratify on an ongoing basis. Until you risk stratify your entire population, you won't know who you need to see. Yeah. Right. If you have 500 patients, 1,000 patients in your panel, how would you know the top 5% driving majority of your admission costs? Who are your remaining 5% who are high risk, who will lead to the top five quartile of cost? Who are the rising risk patients? Who are the folks who have the family history, who have stage one diabetes or who are pre-diabetic and are obese and will get to diabetes and if it's not controlled, will get to an end-state renal disease or a chronic kidney disease, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So the ability to ingest populations data from different sources, the ability to in real time risk stratify that and present it in front of the clinicians or the doctors who will then drive a workflow from that data. And then at the point of care, giving them enough arsenal of data that you can show them, which again goes back to 360, show them a 360 view of the patient's measurements, all of their last three years worth of clinical history to guide the doctor towards knowing what kind of screenings they need to do, what kind of diagnosis they need to do, what's the family history, do they have a social circle around them, does the doctor need to assign a social worker to this person. All of this is Mm data-driven. So to me, you cannot implement value-based care until your data game is right. You have enough resources to align care to that data, to the outcome of what your data tells you. So it sounds like you're in the position in the belief that the future of healthcare is all, it's all about the data, period. It's enabled by data, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. The care delivery should be enabled by data. And there are other aspects as well. Like the world is moving towards a virtual model yeah, like I, I anything that. else. You have artificial intelligence built into your, your data sets as well? We have like a three-layered approach. Our step one is making sure that we can ingest data from all these different plans, from the physician groups, from the hospitals, labs, pharmacies, and number of data sources. Mm -hmm. If there's Scott who went to a hospital, got discharged, went to his home, a nurse came to his home, did the TOC visit, transitions of care visit, after which Scott went back to his PCP, went to a lab, got one more test done, went to the pharmacy, got his medicines. In span of two weeks, Scott went to seven different facilities. My goal is to ingest the data from all those seven facilities and contextualize it by Scott. So step one, which is the bedrock layer, is effective data ingestion, normalization, validation, and keeping it into a format where it's ready to be converted into information. Once the data is there, step two to me is business intelligence, which means that now I'm looking at the historical snapshots of what Scott went through, and then make sure that I align my care towards his patterns of how he's been, which places he's been to, what's his diagnosis, what's his family history, all of that. So there's the business intelligence, which is the historical snapshot. Yeah. 
we are near about done with business intelligence and now we are quickly moving towards artificial intelligence, which is the third way. I know what happened in the past, but I need to start predicting stuff for my population for the future. So that's where machine learning, deep learning, and we are deploying software data science on top of our data where we are now quickly predicting stuff. We are predicting admissions. We are predicting suspect diagnosis, disease progression. We are ingesting a lot of unstructured data through NLP that now we are extracting intelligence out of it. As you know, 30% of the healthcare data is unstructured. A lot of the clinical intelligence in the SOAP notes, which are unstructured, are in free text format. So there's a lot of things in AI that we are now working on there. They're like top six or seven use cases we are going after right now. Yeah, actually, you beat me to the punch on that one. How do you break that down? That's a complex, especially, I mean, look, you have different languages, you have different handwriting styles, uh, you have some people who have very clean, clean handwriting, some that have chicken scratch. How do you break that down where you get an effective note, signatures for that matter, CPT codes, ICD-10 codes, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, that's where artificial intelligence comes into picture. There's a lot of work which has been done in the natural language processing field Mm -hmm. where you can ingest some of this unstructured data. And then over time, you train your model. So you start with assisted learning and then you train your model by a physician where the machine now knows that, hey, it's going to be Unmesh, Dr. Unmesh. And as soon as I see that name, the machine knows that he's going to write some chicken scrap in there and I need to, this is the way I need to read it sure. as compared to Dr. Scott who might have a spick and span handwriting and it's very easy. So that's where the whole idea of training the machine to read and learn and you going through two cycles of, of deep learning, which is start from assisted learning where there are people or clinicians who are assisting the machine as it learns and sort of putting the guardrails, moving into unassisted learning where now the machine starts to learn itself and identifies the false positives that, you know, it can automatically remove. Yeah. I now see why you're in the role, in the high role that you are over P P3, five years. What are we looking like with healthcare, regardless of whoever gets voted in for president and whatever the healthcare system will look like in the U.S.? I think the world is moving towards a very strong customer experience culture. And whoever is doing that game right is disrupting the entire market. You see how Uber changed the way we travel. It's something as simple as click off a button, you have taxi here and you go out and you have someone driving you to the airport. Same with Amazon. They changed the way you shop. Right. But a common theme across all of this is it's virtual everything you've got virtual stores and it's continuous it's 24 7. i think that's where healthcare is going to move towards do you believe that your doctor will be in your phone absolutely i think so as well absolutely and if the doctor is not in your phone at least you have a triaging layer which is continuously available to you so to me healthcare will be personalized it will be driven by variables. So if I'm a diabetic or I'm a CKD or I'm a dialysis patient where I'm having a 
continuous blood glucose monitoring, my data will be constantly fed into the data channels, which will identify if I need an intervention. And the intervention will be pushed to me if I need it coming from this data. This is one direction. The other direction is I'm not feeling good. I will have the ability to text someone right there and get in front of a doctor on my phone right away. And if that doctor defines me to go to a hospital or asks me to go to a hospital or asks me to take a medication or asks me to get a therapy, will all be driven through this virtual model. And you will go to brick and mortar as advised by this virtual care fabric when needed at what time needed is when you go there as compared to traditionally brick and mortar. And I personally feel the onset of COVID, we have made strides in that direction in the last six to nine months. Yeah. Moving to the next topic point, that's something we talked about pre-podcast, something you're passionate about and that you would like for people to hear leaving this podcast. People entering into the healthcare field, in my opinion, when you get a chance to help people help people, there's no greater feeling of accomplishment. Why do you think right now people are afraid to get into the healthcare field? One, and two, for those who are in it, what's holding them back from really hitting strides and gains of helping those people that they're, they have the intention of helping? It doesn't look glamorous, <laughs> you know? If you would have asked me this 15, 20 years ago, Unmesh, do you want to go into healthcare? I would have said, oh, heck no. I see my mom. You know, it's not a glamorous. I like to be in a big tech building a spaceship or something like that. So I think part of this from the outside, that it's not glamorous. And I feel that anyone who's looking for glamour shouldn't look at healthcare. Mm. You are built for healthcare. If you, if you have an incessant need of having an impact of some sort, on people's lives, on just the state of changing things drastically for people. It's a very noble profession, irrespective of if you're a doctor or not. If you're a technologist, if you're a DBA, if you're a nurse, if you're a physician assistant, every day when you go back home, you're going to sleep. I personally feel you're going to sleep well at night because you see the patients and the impact you make in their lives. So anyone who's looking to have that, and personally, I feel East, West, around the world, if you've ever been to a hospital taking care of a near and dear one, you'll know that the health system is broken, which also leads to a lot of opportunity. To me, if you want to have impact, and there aren't too many people who are, and the industry has too many problems to solve, that to me is a big it's a big time opportunity. If there's someone who's in the health system and who wants to rise as an entrepreneur within the system, you have ample number of problems. And as you keep solving problems, you keep moving up in your corporate ladder. If you're an entrepreneur and you like solving problems with great impact, healthcare is the place to be. The problems are big enough and have enough upside for you that if you're able to solve it and solve it well, then sky's the limit in terms of growth. If you are some outside contemplating getting into healthcare, it all goes back to people and empathy. If you would like having impact and people come join healthcare, it's a great place to be. 
there's a lot of movement in healthcare space right now from yeah. a tech, from a process and people perspective that there will be opportunity for everyone. That's one thing I've noticed in my side of the of healthcare arena is that one is you're moving away from separation of product and implementation and they're looking for more holistic approach. There's just too much management on the supply chain side. They just can't handle the bandwidth. When I go out and I'll help design with an architect or an engineer, a interventional or hybrid space, at any one time, there may be anywhere between six to 10 different vendors of choice or partners of the hospital that have to work together and their solutions have to bleed over to make sure that it's holistic. The biggest problem, that, and this is where the biggest opportunity I find, is when someone's scope of work has a, a stiff end point, well, who's the one that's going to cross over and make that final connection to go do it? And then you're spending $4 million in a room, and you have someone who can't just do one little task and will probably take less than 10 seconds to accomplish that because it's outside of the scope of work. And now the customer's pissed. So I find right. that hospitals and healthcare are moving towards that holistic approach. So at the end of the day, there is a better solution and better patient experience as well. Internal leads to external. That's always the way it's going to be. It's the same with us as humans. That's my approach with it. I agree. And a lot of people see that as a problem. They see that as an opportunity, and I'm sure you do as well. I do as well. Yeah, I look at that as rising above and filling the gap. And because next time, when there is another opportunity, who's the first person they're going to call? They're going to call you. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. You. What's your background, Scott? I never talked. So you are a healthcare tech consultant? So I've been in a healthcare consultant between 15 to 17 years, somewhere in that realm. But I graduated mm -hmm. high school with a focus in architecture. Mm -hmm. I then went on to Northeastern University. Uh, athletic training, sports medicine uh, was my degree in. I took business classes at the same time, and then I got into the healthcare arena, and I really got into it by, by luck, by look back. But I was able to put together my understanding of uh, advanced neuroanatomy and anatomy and kinesiology, which was really my passion <laughs> when I was studying, with mm -hmm. my high school passion, architecture. And so I'd be able to look at a space and all of a sudden be able to listen and then build at the same time. It was something I could just walk into a room and say, you want to build X? And then all of a sudden my brain would just start working and I could start seeing things where they need to go, listening to the physician and how they need to prep and work and what their workflow looks like, and then start integrating that. The job really started getting a lot more fun when we started mm -hmm. integrating augmented reality or three-dimensional reality into the space yes. where we were able to get uh, Linux gaming drivers just like you would on your iPad. And we were able to drag and drop equipment to scale using yeah. files to make and orchestrate the room fun and cool at the same time. That's what I've been doing. And I still do that now. The sky's the limit with it. What I'm finding Really, the, the heavy majority is that hospitals are just tired of dealing with multiple companies and multiple partners. They want to consolidate. Just like the healthcare market itself, it wants to consolidate. It's naturally moving right. that way. So in my present company, we're looking to do just that. We have uh, a couple gaps, uh, nothing significant, but just opportunities to provide it and then deliver on it. 
Have you looked at the education sector using augmented reality? Because that's where most of, like, I know on the, in the sports medicine and the PDEC, there's a big movement on, you know, motion and, and everything that you can do with AR. The other big space of augmented reality that we guys are sort of stepping into is education. There's so much you could do with educating patients, educating providers through AR on multiple types of content, I guess. So We actually just had Dr. Gary Gray of the Gray Institute. He's called mm-hmm. the, the founder of Function. Uh, he's a physical therapist. Super, super nice guy. He's going to be published this Monday coming up. His app is probably the most innovative, interactive, functional movement app out there right now for physical therapy. It doesn't have AR built into it yet, but in our conversation, he said that that is absolutely the next move. Dealing with forced coupling joints and strenuous joints and how AI can contribute to the better therapies through mm-hmm. when a body's in this plane of motion and this movement pattern, et cetera. I can see where that's coming with it. And I specifically asked that question because I wanted to find out how far down the line it really was. Physical therapy is uh, in the whole rehab game is a really, mm-hmm. it's a tricky one because again, it's subjective. Someone's experience with a physician, they could be having a bad day. They could just right. be having a bad day. It has nothing to do with a physician. It all depends on where they are in that moment in that day. It really is something that needs to be identified, at least discussed. If a physician does a great, phenomenal job, and then all of a sudden someone gives him a bad review and he gets dinged for that, that's not his fault. That's not fair either. That's true. No, I completely agree. That's why, you know, there's a lot of uh, the net promoter score to me is very subjective. And it's very driven by the perception mm-hmm. as compared to the actual heat scores and things like that. There's always plus minus, you know, five, 10 percent on that. You know, yeah. you'll have people who are going to ding you or unnecessarily, you know, can't do anything about it. So as we're uh, running down here, here's some staple questions for you. You've been around the block a few times. You have a lot on your plate. There's a lot to manage. How do you keep yourself educated? How do you keep yourself on the forefront of what you need to know, how you need to know it when it comes to technology and innovation, et cetera? I'm a big proponent of learning, of continuous learning. Personally, it's a mission for me to at least get one certification every year, go back to school once a year. And every year I try to do something which I've not done in the past. Like this year, I was online with the pandemic and I went through their entrepreneurship and investment. Great experience. Prior to that, I went to Harvard again and studied the finance and investments and investment strategy and startup strategy. Prior to that, I went to MIT to do intelligence and impact of artificial intelligence on business strategy. So I try to keep going back to school at least once a year. And then I am not a book person. I'm more of a video person. And the best thing these days is everything is on video. Right. I go back on YouTube and just learn. There's nothing better than YouTube out there and people and experts who are going to give you their opinions. And that sort of kicks off the discussion for me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm a big R&D guy. My idea is learn fast, learn cheap, learn often. So I do a lot of internal projects with my team 
which are more passion projects for us to really put our hands on on stuff. So artificial mm. intelligence, Very machine learning, AI learning, chatbots, virtual avatars. And that to me is the disruption pipeline. It's passion project, but it's also disruption pipeline because that's what leads to innovation. If I'm able to solve a problem with one of these pure cut new tech, and I am able to solve a problem in a controlled environment is when I bring it mainstream into my business. And that's sort of my process. I don't know if I answered, but it's it's a combination of multiple things. No, absolutely. Yeah. Some uh, I'm an audiobook person and a podcast person. I have watched my fair share of YouTube videos if I need to learn and listen and do at the same time, specifically around my house. <laughs> for, for that. <laughs> can read an instruction manual, but you might not necessarily get it. And that kind of goes back to an earlier question I asked that how does the AI interpret someone whose penmanship is not that clean or clear? If you're listening to someone on a YouTube video and they're saying, hey, you want to turn that ratchet an eighth of the way, but don't be so firm with it because if you do, you're going to strip the tugboat on the other end. You mm -hmm. need to hear and know that and see it. It's a different way of learning. Right. And by watching and listening, you almost in a way have a contextual feel built into your brain as far as what that visualization will look like. Last question for you. You get to leave the audience with whatever you like to leave them with. What would you like to say? I personally am on a mission. I've been very lucky to work with people who have helped me along in my career and in my life in general. If any of your viewers, who are directionally thinking towards going into healthcare, or there are people who are in healthcare in large or small organizations who want to make a difference and move up. If I can help you any tad bit with my experience or some of the things that I've done in my life, I would be very happy to talk to you. So please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, text me, just no marketing, please. Uh, I get tons of that on a daily basis, and it's just hard to respond to everything. But Agreed. if there's genuinely something I can help you with, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. And the other thing I would like to say is I personally feel that I do this every day in my head. Learn fast, learn cheap, learn often. If you keep learning and you keep talking and you keep building connections and you know, there's so much you can do in your life. That has personally helped me in my life, in my career. And I think it'll help every one of you who's out there trying to make a difference. Well be on, uh, be motivated, self-motivated and keep learning. I love it. Well said. That's awesome. So with that, we're going to end the show. Uh, we want to thank everyone for listening in. We appreciate you. All the information from Moonmash would be in the podcast notes. I'm your host, Scott Burgess, Healthcare 360. We'll see you in the next one. Take care. Thank you, Scott. Boom. <laughs> Amazing, man. That was good. Yeah, good. I mean, I love going into a little bit of off-topic, mixing with typical questions and to stir things up because a lot of people hear the same stuff or they can kind of predict, and I like to make it unpredictable as much as I can. Yeah, no, this was amazing. I mean, the part that we did not discuss anything going into the conversation about what we want to talk about, 
that's what actually drives to genuine conversation. So yeah. absolutely. Well, I remember when you said, hey, you know, we want to talk a little bit about it before. And my first answer in my head was absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, I want to have some cliff notes about who you are and what yeah. it is and go into it with a fresh, enthusiastic mind. That's how really what we've done here so well is we can go into it with an open mind and yeah. just navigate through this dialogue yeah. between you and I. We just finished, I, I believe, the last project of the studio. So we're, we are done with this studio. So now it's just time to rock and roll. And That's great. I wish I could do that in some point of my career. I think, you know, you have to have a certain flair as a podcast host, which I think it will come with time. But uh, at some point in my career, I'd love to do some podcasts as well. It's something for me that I didn't realize until you got into it a little bit. That yeah. I really do love it. It's really fun. My wife is the magic maker. She does amazing on her edits. All of this. She really does a fantastic job. I'm always a plan B person. So if <laughs> your first fails or what if a what if happens, the show must go on. What's your backup plan? And we really broke down someone else to kind of see my wife's was so much better. It was so <laughs> much better. These people were charging... I think it was like three, three hundred fifty dollars per episode. At least that that's what they're asking for if they're going to do the edit. And I, I looked at my wow. wife and I was like, "Wow, <laughs> I'm very fortunate. I'm very lucky, and I'm just grateful yeah. to have her." So, no, it's a great partnership. Like my wife is also engineering, so we both went to school together, and she's also in healthcare. And you know, it's always good when you can partner along on certain things, and sure. you can talk commonalities at work. I think that really really helps. But hey, do you plan to, if you ever come out to uh, California, just hit me up, man. We'll meet up or if uh, you're in Boston, right? Born and raised Florida. in Boston. I actually live down in, in Florida. Boca Raton, Florida. Yeah. So I'm about uh, 40 minutes north, roughly of Fort Lauderdale. We are growing now pretty quickly in Florida. So I'm sure I'm going to make a trip. We are, right now we are in Miami area. We're going to expand into Fort Lauderdale and other areas within Florida. If I ever get to visit, would love to uh, grab a bite and That would be great. If you need help with contacts down here as well, please let sure. me know. All the contractors <laughs> and the engineers and architects, they all know me. Uh, I've, I've done major projects with every major healthcare system in the state of Florida. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we have most of my like key data people are there. So my UI UX person who is leading UI UX, he lives in Florida. And then my data architect is in Florida as well. Mm -hmm. I would definitely reach out. Well, it was great catching up. I think this was excellent conversation. I look forward to this getting published. I look forward to it as well. Take care, buddy. Thanks, sir. Take care of yourself. Thank you. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye. Quick shout out to Unmesh for all of his time and efforts he gave to the 360 Nation. Definitely appreciate it and look forward to following the success of P3 Health Partners. If you like Healthcare 360 and enjoyed this conversation, give this podcast a share and write a review. It really helps with the show. And don't forget to take your chance at winning an official Healthcare 360 t-shirt. We're now live on YouTube and you can find us at Healthcare 360 with Scott E. Burgess where you can check out all of our podcast recordings. There are full episodes, as well as short clip deep dives, when you don't have time to listen to a full episode when you're on the move. Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess, and from all of us with the Healthcare 360 team, 
We'll see you for episode number 58 with Jeffrey Wu, co-founder and CEO of HVMN. As always, thank you for being here and thank you for being a part of the 360 Nation. See you next time.